I'm Dr. Sharon Blackie, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, The Hagitude Sessions. In this series of conversations centered around my book, Hagitude, Reimagining the Second Half of Life, I offer you conversations with women who can sprinkle a few breadcrumbs to help us track our journey through the dark woods of the second half of life. Hagitude is a radical rewriting of the decades ahead for all women in their mid and elder years, beginning with the reclaiming of menopause as a liberating alchemical moment from which to shift into your chosen, authentic and fulfilling future. You can find out more about Hagitude, the book and the membership program at hagitude.org. So I'm delighted to introduce Kate Codrington to the Hagitude podcast. Kate is a woman of many, many talents. She describes herself as a menstrual and menopause mentor, a very much needed creature at this uh, at this particular time in our evolution, I think. A writer of a very fine book called Second Spring, which is about uh, life during and after menopause, which we're going to be talking about for sure. A podcaster, a therapist, and um, a weaver, I understand as well, um, in your spare time. So welcome to the Hagitude podcast. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk about Hagitude and getting older and all the joys that that brings. Exactly. I think we're probably absolutely at one on that. But first of all, I'd like to to begin uh, by asking, because I found this when I wrote the book, that hag, the whole concept of hag is is something that polarizes people dramatically. So they either love it or hate it. For me, it was very much about trying to not just to reclaim, but kind of reimagine a word that's so often been used against us. So although I can see it as, you know, slightly shocking, to me, it is a positive thing. I like that idea of hag because it has more of an energy to me than words like crone do, you know, which always seems very feeble in, in my mind. So, so what is the word hag evoke in you? Well, it's funny. The first thing that comes up, I think, is a quite an early image. It's a shadow puppet. I think it must be something that I've, I saw on the television, on black and white telly as a child. And the shadow puppet of a, of a, of a very elderly woman with a pointy nose of a witch. And the witches, as of course you know in, the, in all the stories, they know what's going on they hold the direction of, of the story and the wisdom. And so my, my, first, my first reaction is a little shock because of that kind of, <gasps> that image, that shadow, shadow puppet image. But I think that kind of shock also comes with when, you, when we're told the truth without frills, without softening, without piddling around <laughs> around the edges of it and older women second women in their second cycle sling out the truth like that yeah. and I, I once had this I once had this amazing client I'm so indebted to her because she talked about aging she was talking about drying I think she was talking about drying and wrinkling and she said yes this is a very good process it's like a being a prune or an old wine. You refine down 
so you by letting go of the juice you refine into your essence yeah yeah that's a lovely metaphor that um, and become more you yeah that evaporation of all the stuff you don't need yeah. anymore yeah. so i think i hold both both those the, the myth the the sort of the child the childhood witch mm-hmm. with with the fear that comes with that but also this emerging story about becoming more essentially us Right. And I think, you know, it's funny that the witch is a child, because I remember when I read fairy stories, which I did all the time as a child, I never really identified at all with the princesses. You know, they lived in posh palaces and I grew up on a kind of council estate and they had golden hair and blue eyes. And, and I really just I didn't see them um, as something that I could identify with. But the witch I did as a kind of exile or a kind of outcast, um, that kind of haggish character who looks as if she's in the shadows, but really is actually pulling the strings of the whole story you know setting everybody on their paths and deciding what gifts to give them to help them along their way so I kind of like the idea that there was a power there that you never really saw often with the princesses you know you had to wait till you were old it seemed to me to get that power and so I always kind of looked forward to it Mm, yeah me too princesses don't have much agency over their lives no generally like goods like goods and chattels to be given away yeah exactly and to be done to yeah and so I always I always imagined that you know that was something to be grown into perhaps Mm -hmm. and I grew up with a lot of very very strong working class northern women I suppose which helped so that whole they were hags there's no doubt they were hags but they had their moments and so to me it's always been a kind of a positive image so the first thing that I plan to be asking people in this series is about their experience of menopause, because really that's where the journey to aging, to elderhood, I guess, begins, isn't it? With that um, separation, as you put it in your book, and as I put it also in mine, that begins with perimenopause through that vast initiation of menopause and then into aging. So if you could just perhaps describe a little bit about where you are in that journey and how, how it was for you. Yeah, sure. I'm in, I'm in second spring now, uh, so post-menopause, and I last had a period, I think, I can't even remember, Doesn't, it's not very, I'm, it, it tells you everything you need to know that I'm not actually very interested. Right, right. <laughs> in when that was, because I feel so different. I feel so rooted, so much more rooted in myself and rooted in the land and rooted into possibility actually now. And, and going into menopause, what were your expectations of it? I mean, did you, did you, I mean, you know, what did you know about it? What, what did you, what were you thinking? Well, I, had, I had all the advantages and all the privilege of knowing, knowing about, knowing that it was an, an initiation, knowing about, because I had trained with Red School with Alexandra Pope and Shani Hugo Wurlitzer. So I had all the, I had all the education. I knew all about it. And I thought that I, but I had the arrogance to think that that would mean that I would slip through unharmed. <laughs> yeah. That laugh. Yes. A... <laughs> oh, yes, little one. <laughs> Bit of a trickster old menopause, isn't she? She, yeah. I think, I think if menopause is a hag, she would say, uh-huh. You think you know, but I am going to show you the truth. And every time I I was letting go of 
stuff like obligations, business, things that I was doing in the world. She was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes, and one more. And I'm like, but I'm already let go. <laughs> Again, she says, she kick, you know, she kicks her asses. And I think that has such purpose because we can we can get out of doing the work at any at many other times of life. Yeah, because we're too busy. Because we're busy, because we have enough energy and enough estrogen to push, basically push through and fake it. We have enough energy to keep face. But through menopause transition, we don't. And we're being required to surrender. And we don't want to. And we typically go down kicking and screaming, most of us. And you did. And I did. And I did, yeah, furiously, even though I knew. And because I thought I knew. <laughs> you never but think it applies the... to you. Sorry, say that you again. It, you never think it applies to you when you know. It's kind of, as a therapist, it's... Oh, so arrogance. And my arrogance was very, very obvious. And I had to let go. How did you do that I mean it's easy to say you know I had to let go but we know that the doing is very very difficult truthfully I don't know I, th I think the process of letting go is mysterious and so multi-layered multi-multi-layered and it's nuanced and it's supple and it's yeah I think it's a real mistake to try and set up a, a, a protocol or an ABC mm -hmm. and to pretend that I know what was going on one of the things was I had to stop working for a while. Right. And I had to, I, I suppose it, the, the thing that the, the nub for me was trying, was essentially down to the stuff that was set up when I was a girl trying to be a good girl. Right. To be helpful mm -hmm. in my uh, family, that to, be, to be helpful, to show up and, you know, to do the work. That was how we got our um, respect and love. That's, that was how we were loved, because we were helpful. And so my work, which was at that point, it was with a, with a body therapy, body intuitive, body worker, was kind of built on that. You know, I'd, I'd done it for decades and decades, but there was still part of me that was wanting to be the helpful person, the person who knew stuff, you know that that's another thing that menopause undoes because you know it makes you not know anything both because of brain fog because you can't remember stuff but also because we're in transition so we don't know and we don't know where we're going so I had to not be in not knowing <laughs> deep not knowing very uncomfortable as a professional and well, what was the other thing I was going on about and and not knowing what, what I wanted to do and I had to let go of being this nice helpful person who knew stuff who could help other people and so you, you managed to take time out and that was that was that was your kind of part of your path through it yeah right. and I, I so I stopped working for six months and during that time I mean I was it was a very privileged because my partner picked up a contract and was able to you know pay the bills and that you know that was that was just so <laughs> So lucky at that at that time, just so lucky. But one of the, the I, I gave myself a strong container through that period, and rules about about abandoning goals, basically, to not do anything but because I wanted to get to a particular point or to 
Right. And uh, only doing things that were pleasurable. And if they weren't pleasurable, to stop it. Mm-hmm. Or to delegate. Or to find a different way of doing it that was pleasurable. Or to find something in there. So to really refocus this kind of grind of constantly trying. Trying to be the good girl. And, and totally refocus it on the sound of pencil on paper how pleasing is the sound of pencil and pen on paper (laughs) and it doesn't matter what it's saying or drawing or the words that come or don't or whatever but just for the process and that's what I mean about this nuance thing because of course in menopause transition we have to be in the process so the the things that I was writing and the things that I was drawing and the things that I was making in that in those six months were just in and of themselves for the process and that kind of brought everything down into the into the moment that's interesting it sounds as if you were actually wiser about it than perhaps you're you're giving yourself credit for i think i should have known equally as a psychologist what i was going through but you know i i i wasn't going to let anybody tell me to stop so i i pushed on through it anyway and as a consequence, as so often happens in those situations, you know, the universe comes along, whatever you perceive that to be, the universe, and deals you a big blow on the head and things around me started to break. It you know, just literally couldn't hold up. I couldn't hold them up anymore. Everything from a marriage to friendships to my own psychology. So I just, you know, I became, I became a, a fury, <laughs> kind of, you know, all of the rage that I wasn't allowed to express as a child burst out. And really, um, I didn't feel that I had any control over anything at all in my life. And yet the whole purpose of my being for 50 years had been to control things. So I really feel that it was a lesson in that you get the lesson perhaps that you need during menopause. You know, it comes for the thing that you can't possibly let go of like control. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that you could, the thing that is, that gives you the most existential terror. Yeah. That's what it's asking you to do. And, you know, that's why I, I say to people, it's, it's like your personalized bespoke spiritual work workshop. Right. And you have to look at it that way, don't you, in order to to actually get through it alive or sane or yeah. laughing at least. You have what's to... the what's the alternative? The alternative is that you you're living in a dysfunctional body that is that is betraying you. Right. And it's all downhill from here until you die and nobody will love you. Yeah. I know <laughs> that's, well, that's, exactly. the, that's the mainstream view, right? Still the cultural story, isn't that bizarre? And even though even though we're now moving to a situation where people are having more conversations about menopause, they're having conversations within that context, aren't they? You know, that it is a medical that it is a medical problem that you need help with. And all of a sudden you're allowed to talk about needing help with it, but it's still put out there very much as a as a medical problem, as an inevitable decline that you must halt rather than a really profound and necessary kind of psycho-spiritual change that you have to allow yourself to be taken under by give us time come on <laughs> well we're trying we've got two, we're two, we're two, we're got two books up <laughs> we're getting there i know but we are very much fighting against the flow i think yeah um, but i you know there's, there's more awareness but the awareness lands into the into the ocean of the cultural mainstream right where women's bodies are dysfunctional at puberty were bitchy 
at birth we were pulled apart we were were we can't we're not we can't birth without being without medical intervention with that medical intervention at menopause we go mad and then we dry up and die and periods are, <laughs> and periods of the curse so we've got a few we've got a few hundred years of patriarchy to work work our way through i guess it'll take a while um <laughs> the, the other thing that that occurs to me i am um, i guess so so i'm 61 now so I, I began to go through menopause rather abruptly at 50 when I came off the pill, which I'd been taking for years and it, for endometriosis. And it had kind of a lot of it had been happening in the background, but a lot hadn't. But then once you get through that phase, whatever it is for you, you know, the fury, the hot flushes, the emotional swings and what have you, and you think that you're getting through into some kind of stability, I found that that threshold to elderhood thing knocked knocked on my door again so it was as if you know it, it, the work hadn't been done it had been preparing you for something but there's still a little bit of a bridge to cross before you can say okay that is the kind of elder I plan to be you know in a very very focused way as well yeah. yes it is I mean that that's why I like Red School's seasonal model for uh, as a second cycle mm -hmm. so if, if menopause is winter you come into second spring right and spring is is still transitional right you know people in perimenopause probably you know people in perimenopause put your fingers in your ears and harm for this because you're not <laughs> going to want to hear it right you think that that's the last that's Try it we're done we're cooked but of course we're, not, we're never cooked right indeed spring is transitional and it's very tender and you know i wander around bumping into furniture metaphorically and <laughs> bruising my shins and falling over and going doing too much and wearing myself out and then coming back and hiding under the blanket <laughs> and but that's followed by a second summer oh there's no question but it, but it is interesting so when, when I came through menopause I thought okay I've done that now can tick that one off I'm set for life and that was kind of yeah I guess in my early 50s and then when I was 60 I had a you know effectively a two-year period having been healthy all my life of, of quite serious chronic pain followed by a lymphoma diagnosis and a, a walk through the valley of death and it was as if again you know some bright spark that old hag out there was saying hey, you want to write a book about elderhood you think you're an elder now I'll show you what elderhood is and so that uh, but but you know to me again as a psychologist who's always dealt with transformation as a kind of as a as a kind of um I don't know really as a, as a raison d'etre in the world you know that's what it's for we have to keep going through the mill otherwise we just stand still and we, we become irrelevant I think mm. yes absolutely and, the, and the, the unresolved stuff will keep returning Indeed. and we, we you know we feel oh I've well, I feel, oh, I've dealt with that particular issue from my childhood now. I'm, I'm totally over that and it doesn't apply to me anymore. And that, you know, again, that's part of an enormous arrogance because of course there's more to unpack. And that is exactly as you say, right and proper and healthy that these tender places, that this vulnerability can show us what we need to learn next. At a stage in our lives where in theory we should have more time and energy to to yeah. give over to it yeah. yeah in theory in theory i know i know and what would you say if you think back to that process of i guess the the the, the bit of menopause that does strip you away you know the kind mm -hmm. of our chemical 
crucible moment where all of that inessential stuff is stripped away and what is left is the essence mm. of you, whatever that might be. And again, recognizing that's still a process of that, that's going to go on for quite some time. What did you think you lost in that process that you were w- unwilling to let go of? And, and what did you gain? Um, I guess I'm asking for, for inevitably for a quite a, you know, a fa- fairly simplistic. I know that that's very comp- complex questions. And I'm asking, I suppose, for something fairly simplistic. But if you were to categorize it, you know, in that way, what would you say about the process for you personally? I think in the kind of with the the kind attention of the the menopause hag <laughs> kicking my ass, it's, it, I I was tenderized. You know, I lost some of my armor, mm-hmm. and by that I mean, you know, there is a softening. You know, I think because I'm a embodied body body mind kind of person, I do relate this softening of tissue because of dropping estrogen with softening of body armor as well. So I can't puff myself up and, and hold face and do that kind of, I can't overinflate anymore. I try. <laughs> <laughs> because I've done it, I've done it for exactly 50, 70 years or whatever. Old habits, yeah. But I'm not able to do that. I'm softer and I am softening. And that makes me more permeable to the world. I'm more touched. I'm more available. I'm more touched by the world. But and also my selfness, whatever, however you want to contextualize, whatever you want to call that, goes the other way. It's more, it's, it's, I, I communicate myself more. I give more of myself in some sense. I wonder if that is determined by the attitude with with which you come into menopause you know so if you were really soft and permeable to begin with then perhaps what menopause needs to do for you is actually the opposite to to harden you up a bit too highly likely well we 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 already said it it's this personalized Mm. bespoke workout that will help us really come to the core of our vulnerability Mm -hmm. what we need to know I think the hags are in charge of menopause. I mean, talking talking to you about this, I can I can picture them out there. Absolutely, and and one of the things that I, I talk about um, in Hagitude, as always, because all of my work is at, at some level founded in in myth and story and fairy tales, are the old women in our native European folk tales who are who are almost never the protagonists of the stories, but as we said earlier, the ones that actually keep it going. And so I I kind of categorized the kind of archetypal qualities of the hags in those stories. And with the idea that somebody coming into this and looking at envisioning their elderhood, you know, having actually got out of menopause alive to the extent that you ever get out of it entirely, you know, what, what do you see in the future for the elder that you want to become? And so there are all kinds of different archetypes you know we have so we have for example Baba Yaga who's the classic trickster and initiator character we have the fairy godmother who is the mentor character we have the fates you know who are old women in Greek mythology even though all the artists painted them as pretty young girls of course who weave the world into being uh, we have the the wise old woman who has the very deep vision, the, almost the prophetic kind of vision. So we have all of these 
different archetypes and I have a belief that each of us has a kind of inner hag that relates to at least one of those archetypes and so I'm wondering whether that resonates with you whether there are any particular stories or characters in stories that you relate to or which one of those archetypes do you think is most at work in you Oh, what a question I know and I said no trick questions didn't I when I <laughs> <tried to look laughs> <at this. laughs> wow I can see I can see all of them you know I can see aspects of all of them in how I find my way I, I mean I you know I, I love and fear Baba Yaga but mm. naughtiness <laughs> I never thought of her as naughty, but I suppose she is, yes. Well, yeah, she's just kind of, that kind of, yeah, that trickster yeah. holds so much energy. Yeah. And I, yeah, I can really relate to that. I have to keep that under control, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine, yeah. But, but again, you know, that she, she, to me, that whole business of menopause, as we've been talking about, is very tricksterish. It is that classic, you know, trickster being at heart a disruptor archetype yeah you know, and I am, a I am a disruptor yeah put me into the situation of the uh the kind of where everybody's sitting in line and I will be moving my chair five inches to the left and asking, <laughs> asking a stupid question you know but it's easier to do that when you're older because you just don't really give much of a shit anymore yeah about yeah convention um, unless it's useful Fairy Godmother, definitely. I definitely have access to kindly, kindly soothing <laughs> older, older characters in me, for sure. Yeah. Oh, you're, I can't. Oh, such a great resource. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> oh, fantastic. But you're also a weaver, so that whole idea. Of I'm weaver. not a weaver. That was, that was, that was, um, that was a, not, that's not the case. I'm a, I stitch. I stitch stories. Oh, you stitch, I'm sorry, right. Uh, that's okay. I stitch stories. It's a very odd thing, and that, which is kind of like weaving. I'm something I'm, I've put down for too long and I'm just looking at the piece that I need to pick up again. It's stitching the stories of women's friendships into garments that they give each other. Right. But it's the same thing, you know, whether yes. you're spinning, weaving, stitching, knitting. Yeah you are in some way creating, uh, which is women's creative power. And again, it seems to me that when we have gone through menopause and come out the other side, that creative energy, which once we might've put into bleeding, you know, into bearing children or not bearing children, but the idea that the creative energy is all about creating new human life, that vessel for creativity is still there, but it's very much being poured into, into something else. Yeah, but poured into something that has a wider good, I think. I think this is a, this is a dodgy area because as people born female, there's always this expectation that we put ourselves last and we service other people and we kind of get, get as you say, if we, if we, when we survive menopause, to then have someone say, ah, oh, but now you can serve the community. It's like, what? <laughs> No, you know, there's a bit of tussling to be done there. But at the same time, I do see women in their second summers doing bigger stuff. 
<laughs> that serves them, but also the, their, their wider community. Yeah, I mean, it's always seemed to me, looking back, you know, all the way to the ancient Greeks and all the way forward to depth psychologists like uh, James Hillman, that that whole concept of calling has these two facets to it very, very clearly. That, you know, if, if you come here, as Plato would have argued, every soul comes here into the world called, you know, with some gift to give it, even if it's the tending of a garden or, or being nice to people uh, in a shop, you don't have to be Greta Thunberg's and save the world. That's not what calling is about. But but it has these two elements of it, that if you only think of your calling and your gift as in service to the world, then you as a soul don't grow. Nothing really shifts for you. And so there's always that balance. And I know I've always found it very, very difficult to balance because I was also brought up to be a nice little girl who, you know, gave everything to everybody else. And I think that's part of our nature, you know, generosity that is there. And again, the cultural expectations make it very, very easy to give everything and, and not hold anything back for yourselves. And I, th and I think that to me is also what, what the second half of life is about you know, having given in so many ways to however you've done it, you know, not necessarily the, the kind of conventional way with husband and kids, but however you as a, as a, as a woman have, um, have given and created in the world that, that, and, and been outward looking that that inner turning that comes at menopause is, is in part to just like do a bit of a recce of your own soul and your own journey and your own why you think you're here and all of those kind of more spiritual questions that have to be addressed and we have excellent resources in our boundaries because our boundaries have firmed up yeah and we can say no yeah sometimes that's... we can do it skillfully yeah that's <laughs> on occasion that's a trick <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is a trick but yeah you're quite right very necessary so so tell me some more about second spring your your book on kind of I want to just say navigating menopause and mm -hmm. and where that came from what spurred you to write it and what what you want it to do in the world what, what you want it to be in the world one of the my great delights is that people say it's like a big hug and my my intention is that it should reassure people that they're doing okay it's okay when it's messy and you feel like you're falling apart that's really okay that they're onto something there and also to point people to towards trusting the process towards trusting their bodies as being whole and cyclical instead of falling apart trusting their knowing and wisdom that that it's there after all, they've been self-soothing for, for 50 years. So they, they know a thing or two about what soothes and what works. And not having to give ourselves away, give our authority away to other people, to, you know, to gurus and other people to tell, to be told what to do. Whatever, whatever whether you take a medical route, a largely med medical route, or you blend or do everything or both or whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter what you what practices and and medication and herbs that you choose to take into yourself, that will come and go. The, it doesn't matter. The important thing is that you feel safe in your authority to choose it. Do you think is your sense that at some level the HRT route blunts it, the process of um, 
of transformation? I think that it's in hugely individual. Right. I, I mean, if 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 someone takes HRT and is that that, that can kind of turn down my. Uh, I have a colleague Tanya Elfosi who brilliantly called it turning down the volume on symptoms. Right. So so it's not so noisy. You know, when we're really in extremists and really stressed and things, the shit is really hitting the fan. It's really hard to be kind to yourself. <laughs> sure you know or any any self-care and kindness and regular stuff that we do to keep ourselves well tends to go out the window in those cases right that's just human and and taking herbs or medication or hrt or any old thing can turn that down the volume so that we can find out how to be kind to ourselves and for for many people it can be a route home mm. Yeah, I think I think so. I think I think a lot, a lot, you know, symptoms vary dramatically, don't they, from person to person? And I think that's one of the, the kind of curious things about it. So, for example, I had all of the hot flushes. I had the rage and I didn't really have very much else. I never had the brain fog. I had absolute clarity for better or worse. I mean, sometimes for worse, you know, <laughs> it wasn't always um, it wasn't always uh, the right kind of clarity. But I, I, I really felt very much more energetic in some ways and, and much more powerful. So to me, I didn't really need the treat the HRT. But I know some friends who have been quite significantly impacted by really, really serious issues with mm. insomnia, with mood swings, and all of those kinds of things, where it does seem, as you say, to have really, really helped them um, settle a little bit. And and we, you said it yourself earlier. If if you if whatever medication or help that you're using, you're taking it to um, push through and to ignore, ignore what your body is asking for and to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing, then you're pushing towards catastrophe. If you could give a piece of advice from your book, say, to somebody standing on that threshold, I mean, you've kind of already said it, about about learning to listen to yourself and slowing down and taking the time out but if you could if you could give one piece of reassurance or advice what would what, what would it be mm, it's, it's a, as simple as imagining what your best friend would say to you you know to out to just find a little kindness in any way you can it might be calling on a, a, a the the fairy godmother type figure or you're not all of us are blessed with kindly mothers or your your best friend or just feeling that imagining having a conversation with them and think and what would they say and typically those people say you're doing really well just just be a bit easier on yourself back off a bit and understand I guess that this is supposed to happen I think that's yeah. the main thing yeah. probably I would say to somebody you know, it's okay you you I always think of menopause as um you know a pause not just in the menses but a pause in the story of your life so it's kind of a time between stories and that there is no plot you're supposed to lose it it's 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 okay to be lost yeah. at this time of life mm. that's kind yeah. of what it's for it's not a it's not a dysfunction it's it's meant to be like that mm. yeah if, if cis men had menopause, then it would be a spiritual practice, no question. They'd be <laughs> sitting on thrones in woodland, being, being with not knowing and worshipped for the great, the great transition that they were making. <laughs> if you could 
again, looking forward to, to elderhood and, and to growing older, as we all are, and recognizing the invisibility of, of older women in the world today, you know, the fact that we are supposed to just like shut up and not be irritating dear and um, uh, leave it, leave it to the young ones and leave it to the men. Were there any, are, are there any women that you think are particularly positive role models? Because that's what I really struggle Oh, yes. Let's, that's my favorite thing. Okay, well, come on, name them. Okay, Lydia Rules. I have no idea who that is. That's really oh, you will love Lydia Rules. Sadly, she's no longer on this earth. She, I don't know, second spring. She was an artist. She made uh, goddess banners that got that got paraded all around the earth and was the most beautiful, the most beautiful soul. Lydia Rules. I want. She is such a role model for me. I would love to be able to live my life like Lydia Rules. Um, Maya Angelou, seriously getting better as she got older. Georgia O'Keeffe, look at their work. Look at their work at the, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm getting me pointy finger out now. I get so excited about it. Look at the work at the end of their lives. And it is, it's like that fine wine or the, that prune. It is deep and spare and clear and so much of their essence, so much of their essence. Margaret Atwood. Who wouldn't want to be Margaret Atwood? You know, I always, when I'm, I'm sitting there weeping at my desk, oh, the worst thing is Margaret Atwood comes along and she's like, okay, five more minutes, keep at it. Doesn't matter if nothing happens, stay with it. Margaret Atwood, caring for the planet, totally there. Joanna Macy talking about caring for the planet. She would be yes. my yeah. Still going strong. I mean, there's so, there's seriously so many. And I, and I oh, uh, Patti Smith. I was going to say Patti Smith. I mean, everybody says old women can't be beautiful, but look at Patti Smith. Now, okay, she had good bone structure to begin with. It helps if you have cheekbones, doesn't it? It helps to have cheekbones, yeah. I'm not blessed to have that sugar, but nevertheless, you know, you can just see. And it's not just about bone structure, though. It's just something in the way that she holds herself. Yes. The kind of quality of energy around the woman that just is very steady and very strong. Yeah. And, you know, again, creativity um right right at the heart of it so yeah there are lots of there are loads Viv Albert I, I write about Viv Albertine second spring I, I got kind of embarrassed because I, I'm like such a fan I mean, it was a really gushy gushy bit of the gushy bit of the book and she was she was one of the slits uh punk band in the 70s and she they just totally rewrote how it was to be female in the music industry and they did their own thing and they didn't give a shit they absolutely didn't. And a lot of it is really unlistenable to you. But a lot of it is absolutely brilliant. And she's still there and still telling it like it is. And how, looking fabulous too. How do you think, how do you think, apart from carrying on writing books and doing all of the things that we do, how do you think it is possible to seed these ideas out more widely into the culture? Mm. I think on Outside the Bakers, or in the queue at Tesco, or at the school gate, or wherever, it's celebrating the older women in your life. It's about telling stories, and that's how you do it. What kind I, of stories? The stories, the stories of triumph, the stories of what the naughty old woman said. 
thinking of a particular naughty old woman who was very, very naughty and very, very irritating. But God, she was a disruptor. And that has such, such an energy. The story of my, my friend Jane in the village where I live, who set up um, a plug for refillable, a um, plastic-free shop in, in her 60s. Right. And she, she's, not, she's never been in retail. She, she worked for the NHS, for a health service, and then uh, and she was gardening for a while. And she's just completely changed it around. She's changing the world. She's, you know, mm. at this time of life. Well, my sister, I'm, I'm blessed with older sisters, and they, both of them, have so much coming into themselves. One of them is, has become this amazing expert photographer. The other one sings like an angel. And they, they've always had that interest, but there's something about their second cycle, and they're both in their second summers now, where they're, they're planted into themselves in a way that allows their, their gifts and their interests to be expressed in a more, in a clearer way. And when, when we can, just telling the story about change and telling the story about expression and expansion post-menopause, giving it nuance. Nuance, yeah. And, and making it, yes, making people understand that there isn't just one way to do it properly, that there are so many ways yeah. to, to blossom at this mm. late stage of life. Yeah, and it dropping in. And that, 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 that makes it, that when you hear that, when I hear those stories and people tell me those stories about their sisters, mothers, grandmothers, there's a part of me that is soothed. I exhale and I come into my, I can feel it in my solar plexus. I can feel it in my power centers oh yeah so maybe I don't have to feel sad about whatever my skin's up to or whatever my joints are up to because aging makes us fragile there is there is a process of increasing fragility that needs to be cared for and loved intended to but that's not the whole story and finally whichever way we look at it whichever story we choose to to inhabit I guess as as we um pass through our elderhood it has an inevitable ending which is death we all get to walk through that valley of death for good it's another subject that we don't talk about very easily or very well in in this culture how how do you see how do you see death I guess I, I want to say kind of archetypally as a figure you know what does he or she look like to you but maybe that's just because I always see things as figures and other people don't have to but but when you think of death as a kind of energy presence character how do you how do you see death i see old ladies dancing do you oh wow that's a lovely image dancing wow there's something about that the circular thing about the movement of being held actually by it it feels it feels almost too kind of precious to really nail particularly on a bit of audio that will be floating around the internet but <laughs> But yeah, it, feel, it feels like a welcome, actually. Mm, it's a beautiful image, yeah. And I do think that, that at some point in the process of going through menopause, of coming into the part of life that you call the second spring, we have to learn somehow to make friends with death. Yeah, I think a big bit of, big bit of menopause has that task. The ability to recognise an ending and to celebrate an ending. Yeah. Well, to, fa to, fa to face that, to face our mortality more deeply. To and, it, and it is a, a kind of, um, 
it is a lesson about that as well, isn't it? It's a le- very much a lesson in letting go, letting go of all of the, the, the things that you thought defined you, whether that be motherhood or a career or beauty or fitness or whatever it is that you are in a, at a stage of your life where you are going to see a lot of things slipping away. Yeah. Well, I hope that's not too negative a, a note on which to end. It seems to be a very positive one. I'll, I'll take away with me that uh, idea of death as old ladies dancing. I love that very much. So thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and sharing all of those thoughts with us and where can people find out more about you and your work and your book i have a website and it's katecodrington.co.uk and there's a treasure trove of yoga nidra of meditation uh, there are uh, graphics of the seasons there's all there's like there's it's it's like a an aladdin's cave in there (laughs) a load of stuff that people can access for free or a Baba Yaga's hut. Baba Yaga's hut, <laughs> yes, on legs. <laughs> but it's here. Um, and I'm on Instagram as well. That's Kate underscore Codrington. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Kate. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hagitude Sessions. Please think about writing a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode with your friends. And if you'd like to find out more about Hagitude, the book and the membership program, please visit hagitude.org.